We find ourselves again in Psalm 23. We'll be focusing on verse 4. We will take a few moments after we read the passage to review verses 1 through 3 and some of the things that we have discovered. This is an amazing Psalm of David, and it ought to bring joy and comfort to our hearts as these same truths did to his Only the main text will be up today. You can try to turn to the others if you can keep up, or you can just write them down and look them up after. Psalm 23, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we again approach this passage, God, open our hearts to your word. Illuminate your word by your spirit, God, that we would understand that we would apply, that it would make a difference in our lives. God, through it, God, may we find comfort in the midst of suffering, the suffering of this life, in all the valleys that we go through. God, may we understand that you are our comfort. You, our shepherd, with your rod and your staff, you are our comfort. God, may we look away from anything else through which we might think that we can find comfort in and look to you, the true source of real comfort, the source of rest, and the source of peace. Again, speak to our hearts. Thank you that your word never returns void. And so we ask your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So David declares in Psalm 23, the Lord or Yahweh, Yahweh or Yahweh in the Hebrew is my shepherd. David uses God's covenant name. It's his personal name, his holy name. His name is Yahweh, the unchanging, uncaused, ungoverned the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one. David says, Yahweh is my shepherd, and because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. David means that there's no lack in Yahweh, that all we need is found in him. And then in verses 2 through 6, David exposits the words, I shall not want. And he begins that in verse 2. He writes, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And as we've seen, 
through the wilderness of this world, the scriptures are the green pastures. In other words, the word of God is like green vegetation of the early spring. God's words are always fresh. They're always rich, tender, and satisfying, and they are never exhausted. If you are being led by the good shepherd, his word is a delight to your soul. It satisfies your soul so that once you are fed by it, you lie down in those promises, in those truths. You appropriate God's truths and rest in them. That's what a believer does. David continues in verse 2, he leads me beside the still waters. Here David speaks of the graces of the Spirit like resting waters. The Spirit of God cleanses, he refreshes, he gives life, he quenches thirst, he sustains, he gives peace. Even though we're walking through the wilderness of this dark world, no matter what we are facing in this life, No matter how great our enemies around us might be, he leads me to rest in his word. He leads me in that place of peace by his spirit. In verse 3, he writes, he restores my soul. So it's by the spirit of God working through the word of God that we're restored. And when we walk through this weary world, we desperately and continually need restoration So daily we need the illumination and the application of God's word by the spirit. It's through the word of God, by the spirit of God, that we're restored, that we do not grow weary, traversing through a dark world. In verse 3, he continues, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The good shepherd faithfully guides his sheep into righteous living. We're called to be holy as he is holy. If we follow the Lord, we are being led to walk in righteousness. This is not optional. Sanctification is guaranteed, but we are called to participate, to cooperate with God's work in our lives. Notice he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We We were created to reflect his image and to glorify his holy name. Isn't that the purpose and the desire of every true believer? Since in Christ we have new hearts, new want-tos, in which we want to glorify him. We want to praise and exalt his holy name. David continues to explain what he means by, I shall not want. And that's where we pick up today in verse 4. David writes, Yea, though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Yahweh, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, David knew what it was like to walk through the dark valleys of this world, through the valley of the shadow of death. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, David had been anointed as king by Samuel, but he had not been installed as such. So, Saul remained the king of Israel at this time. David was Saul's servant. He was his son, Jonathan's best friend. But David was also a man of war, a general, if you will, and he fought the enemies of Israel. So in 1 Samuel chapter 18, just two chapters later, after returning from fighting the Philistines, David was received by the people. 
But the women came out of the cities specifically to greet King Saul because of the victory. They were dancing and singing this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So an evil spirit entered Saul and he turned against David at that time. He sought to kill him. So from 1 Samuel 18 to 2 Samuel chapter 5, 15 years approximately, David saw or Saul saw David's life. Over and over he pursued him. He led his armies of men after him, against him. And David had to flee from King Saul. David escaped to the dark wilderness valleys in Israel. It was a time of great distress for him. So David knew what it was like to travel through the dark valleys, escaping at times even into black caves, as we read. He knew what it was like to experience unbelievable distress. He understood the dark valleys of this life, in other words. Yet God was with David every step of the way. The Lord Yahweh guided him through those dark valleys. He protected him. He cared for him. He was right there with him. So David declares, I will fear no evil for you, Yahweh, are with me. God was with David. We don't know the exact time of the writing of this Psalm, Psalm 23. Yet possibly David's experience with Saul came to his mind as he penned these very words. David has certainly been through the valley of the shadow of death, threatened by his own king. He had every reason to fear, but he feared no evil or feared no evil thing, for Yahweh was with him. This verse is often used to refer to a time of a person's death. And no doubt it's applicable, but it does not apply only to death. It applies to life's dark valleys. In Psalm 107, we see that the psalmist describes the children of Israel who, because of their rebellion against the words of God, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years without a place to dwell. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Without a place to call their home. And the Bible says the Lord humbled their hearts with toil and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. But then in verses 13 and 14, the Bible says he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them and get this out of darkness and the shadow of death. Those wilderness wanderings were the shadow of death to the children of Israel So may we understand this morning that no matter how difficult our path in life, no matter our distresses, no matter who is fighting against us, no matter how great our enemies, that if you are in Christ, the Lord is with you. And of course, he's in you. John writes, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, this is truth. Even when our dark path is the result of, of sin as it was for the nation of Israel. God is with us if we are in Christ. God goes with us through those dark valleys, even when they're the result of sin. 
It is in the dark valley where the Lord shows his saving power. It is there where God works to bring his sheep to repentance and lead them into the promised land of forgiveness. Yahweh is the great rescuer of his sheep. No sheep will ever go astray and not be sought after, not be returned to the flock. Folks, if you're born again, the Lord leaves the 99 and he comes after you and brings you back to the fold, to that place of safety, to that place of care and protection, to an intimate walk with the good shepherd. But I want you to notice Job also uses similar words to refer to death itself. It applies to the valleys of life, but it applies to death. As Job seeks a little cheer in the midst of suffering, Job says in chapter 10, verse 20, before I go and I shall not return. He's talking about death. Before I go and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow. So Job here speaks of death. So whether we're talking about the dark valleys of this life or death itself, folks, there is comfort because the Lord is with us. May we say this morning with David, I will not fear for Yahweh is with me. You see, the presence of the good shepherd makes all the difference in the world, doesn't he? Notice also the Lord through Isaiah gave comfort to Israel in the midst of their Babylonian captivity, in their misery Isaiah writes this, but now, thus says the Lord, it's the word Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's the God we serve. Who is like the Lord our God? That's the question this morning. You see, if you have the Lord as your shepherd, you have nothing to fear because God is with you. He is your provider. He is your protector. He is your God. It doesn't matter what you face. He is with you. And greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. But not only is God with us through the dark valleys, he actually has a purpose in leading us through those dark valleys. But for this, we have to go to another text, don't we? You know it well. Paul, writing to the believers in Rome, declares in Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, and we know Listen to the confidence. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that we would be the first, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? You see, the believer's future is sure. And that is glorification. He will take us not to 
the promised land where we have to fight giants. But he's going to take us to glory, to heaven, to be with him forever. What can we say to a promise like that? You can ignore it. You could disregard it. Or you can believe it and appropriate God's promise. He is faithful. Not only is God with us in the midst of life's trial, that verse tells us, or those verses tell us, that he has a purpose in them. They are for our good and his glory. Which would you rather have? Your best life now without God and without hope in this world? Or God with you in the valley of the shadow of death, causing all things to work together for good, And work together for his glory. You see, it's through dark valleys that we're most comforted. It's through life's trials that we are conformed to the image of Christ, to his likeness. It is through life's troubles that we're filled up with the fullness of God, that we there continue to die to self so that he might live through us. God works through trials. He works through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's with us. We can trust him. Now notice where David takes us in verse 4. We'll read the whole verse together. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Where did David find comfort? It was in his shepherd who carried a rod and a staff. The rod, also translated in other places as scepter, is a royal or is a symbol of royal authority. It's a symbol of power, of protection, of guidance, and of discipline. It was used to examine and to count every sheep. The young shepherd boy would spend hours learning how to throw it with speed and accuracy. These young men would sometimes have competitions to see who could throw his rod accurately the furthest. All this in preparation for one day, protecting and discipline, disciplining his own sheep. The shepherd would use it to kill the wolf or the bear that came to attack his sheep. To the sheep, the rod provided protection. It was the arm of the Lord, so to speak. Does this Protection not relate to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 3, where God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Don't tell me that this only applies to national Israel because Paul wrote to those in Galatia in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And later in that same chapter, Paul tells us that Christ became a curse for us. Verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, all these promises, these promises of Abraham come by means of the Spirit of God in the new covenant. Now let's see what God does to the enemies of the sheep to the enemies of his covenant people, the enemies of God. In Numbers 24, Balaam blessed Israel with an oracle. In verses 8 and 9 reads, God brings him, speaking of Israel, out of Egypt. 
He is for him like the horns of the strength of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries. He will crush their bones in pieces and scatter them with his arrows. He couches. He lies down like a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him? Blessed is everyone who blesses you. God says to Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. We saw just weeks ago in Psalm 2, the Lord will break the enemies of his kingdom with a rod of iron. Who are, by the way, the enemies of his people, the enemies of his kingdom. He will shatter them. The psalmist said, David says there, like earthenware, like pottery. On a better note, in one sense. Notice the rod was also used to discipline his sheep. Just as the shepherd would hurl the rod at his at the enemies of the sheep, he would also hurl the rod at the sheep that was misbehaving, not to harm them, but to warn them, to get their attention, to protect them, to save them. He would also hurl the rod toward any sheep that strayed into danger, wandering away from the flock approaching poisonous weeds or berries, getting too close to a cliff or any danger. The purpose purpose of discipline is for the benefit of the sheep. There's no wonder the scriptures tell us in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Do you believe the word of God? The good shepherd loves his sheep and he disciplines us. Job five seventeen. Be, behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. The writer of Hebrews quotes from this text as well as others in what I'm about to read in chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. In Micah 7, 14, Micah petitions the Lord for the people of Judah because they're rebelling at this time. It's just before the northern kingdom is actually dispersed into Syria. And this is what Micah Micah petitions. He petitions Yahweh. Shepherd your people with your scepter. It's the same Hebrew word, rod, the flock of your possession. Micah is begging for God to discipline his people. He knows the character of God. He knows his desire to reprove and to restore them. Moving on. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 32, the shepherd would also use the rod to count his sheep as they entered the sheepfold. We're numbered by the Lord. That's the point. He knows our number. He knows our names. He even knows the number of hairs on our heads. John chapter 10, verse 3, the shepherd of the sheep calls his own sheep by name. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my own and my own know me. So the rod is a symbol of royal authority. 
a symbol of power, protection, discipline, and care. Just as the green pastors picture the word of God, so does the rod. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the first part of it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, it has royal authority. It has power, the power of God. By the power of the word, God will crush his enemies, the enemies of his people. But by the word of God, he protects his people. He numbers his people. He rebukes his people. He disciplines his people. He provides loving care. Verse 4 again, that last part, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Finally, we come to the staff, which gives comfort to the sheep. The staff is a long, slender stick with a crook on one end. No one in any other profession carries a staff. It's not appropriate for cattle, for horses, for hogs, for camels. The staff is designed especially for the needs of the sheep. The staff is a symbol of concern used to express the compassion of the shepherd, whereas the rod speaks of authority, power, discipline, and defense. The staff speaks of all that is long-suffering and kind. Just as the rod is symbolic of the word of God, the staff is symbolic of the spirit of God. When we think of the work of the spirit, There is the essence of sweetness, of comfort, of consolation, and of the most gentle correction. The staff was used to draw the sheep together into intimate relationships. The shepherd used his staff to gently lift a newborn lamb to bring it close to its mother when they became separated. The shepherd used his staff since the odor of his hand could cause the ewe to reject its offspring. Philip Keller writes in his historic book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, I have watched skilled shepherds moving swiftly with their staffs among thousands of ewes that were lambing simultaneously with depth but gentle strokes The newborn lambs were lifted with the staff and placed side by side with their dames. It is a touching sight that can hold one spellbound for hours. See, the Christian life is the same. The good shepherd uses his spirit to reach out and bring us into sweet fellowship with one another. Oh, how we as believers need sweet fellowship in the body of Christ and praise God for that here at Cornerstone Church. The staff was also used by the shepherd to reach out and catch individual sheep and draw them close to the shepherd. Just as in the Christian life, our gracious shepherd uses the Holy Spirit by means of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He draws his sheep close to himself to deepen our relationship with him. The words of Christ in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. See, he points people to Christ. He draws people to Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. The staff is also used by the shepherd to guide the sheep. He guided them gently along onto a new path through the door of the sheepfold. 
maybe along a dangerous cliff or a difficult route. He doesn't use it to beat the sheep. Rather, the tip of the long slender stick is laid gently against the side of the sheep and pressure is applied to guide that sheep in the way that it should go. Keller again writes, sometimes I've been fascinated to see how a shepherd will actually hold his staff against the side of some sheep that is a special pet or a favorite simply so they are in touch. They walk along this way almost as though they were hand in hand. See, Christ himself told us that it would be by his spirit that he would send to guide us and to lead us into all truth. It is the Spirit of God who takes the truth of God, the Word of God, and makes it plain to our hearts, to our minds. He gives us spiritual understanding. It is the Spirit who gently and tenderly, persistently says to us, this is the way, walk in it. Again, we come to John The words of Christ in chapter 14, verse 26, but the helper, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. See, he leads you in the way he directs you. It's just like with a shepherd putting that rod up against the sod and the shepherd knows he's there. He's guiding him. He's leading him. You see the intimate care of the good shepherd. May we, like David, say, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, because God, because God is with us, there's great comfort. Because of the power of the word and the leading of the spirit, we're comforted. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what you might face in the future, the Lord is with you if you're in Christ. With the gentle leading of the Spirit and the authority of the Word, there's comfort for every sheep in the fold, no matter what you face. I don't know what you're facing, but I can tell you this this morning. God knows exactly what you're dealing with in your life. He knows how difficult it is. He knows the trouble, but he's causing all things, if you're in Christ, to work together for your good and his glory. So as we consider the Lord's table this morning, a time of remembrance. I want to remind you of what we are to remember. I want to remind you that this good shepherd is a holy God who executes justice on all sin. He will crush his enemies. He will crush the enemies of his kingdom, the enemies of his people. Revelation chapter 19, 15 describes our Lord as he executes wrath on sinners, these enemies. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Understand this morning, that's the God of the Bible. That's the God whom we serve. That's the God that we celebrate this morning. He is righteous and he is holy and he will judge all sin. There will never be a sin that goes unpunished, unjudged. One day he will pour out his wrath on all sin. 
But I can tell you, communion is about what happened 2,000 years ago. The Lord of glory, Yahweh in human flesh, bore the wrath of God for our sins, for the sins of everyone that would believe, for the sins of the elect. He bore the full, bore the full and perfect wrath of God so that he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he is the appeasement of God's wrath for all who believe. Think of it, the wrath that, that's the wrath that we deserve. We are the ones who sinned. We're the ones who have fallen short of the glory of God. But God's wrath was placed upon him. And on the cross, as we saw in Psalm 22, he bore the wrath of God. That same king of wrath in Revelation 19, that same kind of wrath of Revelation chapter 19 was poured out upon Christ because of my sin, because he is holy and because God hates sin. The holy wrath of God that I deserve, that I earned, was poured about, poured out on the Lord of glory so that he could still be just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus, so that he could maintain justice and declare the believer righteous in his sight. That's what God has done. That's the remembrance. That's the God we serve. That's the love of God for his sheep. It's through his substitutionary, satisfying, appeasing death that we worship him this morning. And that's what we remember. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the bride price to purchase a bride for his glory. That's the God we serve. That's the remembrance. So I remind you, the unleavened bread represents Christ's sinless body that was broken by the wrath of God, bringing us into God's presence. The wine represents the cleansing blood of Christ. And just as the wine in Scripture represents both celebration and blessing, it also represents judgment. It represents the wrath of God Almighty. The Lord Jesus, and here's the point, the Lord Jesus took our wrath that we might receive his blessings. And now in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. (coughs) I'm so sorry. For Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is he your shepherd? Is he your savior? Is he your God, your protector? Can you declare with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Everything that you need is provided in the good shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He gave his life for the sheep. If you're in Christ this morning, you're welcome to partake with us. If you're not in Christ, if you've never been born from above, I challenge you to contemplate the Lord's death. The bread and the wine are a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're a picture of what Christ did for us. We're going to have a time of silent prayer, and I challenge you this morning 
to examine yourself. If you're a believer, examine yourself so that you can partake in a worthy manner. 